For many of us, dance is a lifelong passion, and that passion might shift and change as we grow up, but dance will always be a part of our lives. But keeping your dream alive can be hard in this industry, which is why, as you know, one of the main themes of this show is resilience. I love talking with successful and talented dancers about their own resilience journey and to hear what they can teach us about perseverance and following your dreams. As for today's guests specifically, I'll be honest and say I got a little starstruck. They not only have multiple ballroom championship titles, but they have also coached and worked with some of your favorite dancers on shows like So You Think You Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars, including Mark Ballas, Derek and Julianne Huff, and Fiction. They even wrote a children's book that I can attest my six-year-old loved. And it's hard to find good dance books, right? There are some wonderful words of wisdom in this episode. So listen in as Corky Ballas and Carolina Orlovsky share their inspiring stories of resilience and advice for following your dreams. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hello, welcome, Corky and Carolina. So nice to meet you both. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Will you both uh, introduce yourselves a little bit? Tell us about your dance journey. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Corky Ballas. I am a 12 times dual national champion. I'm a world champion. Um, I've done, uh, I've probably created the first set of uh, instructional dance videos. And uh, I've been on Dancing with the Stars with my, uh, with my uh, son. And then my, I guess, uh, I raised Derek and Julianne Huff. So it was kind of fun being on that show with them. And uh, that's pretty much who I am. I've been dancing all my life. I grew up in a dance family. Uh, my mom was a flamenco dancer. My dad was uh, the president of Fred Astaire Dance Schools, which is a chain here in America. And that's, that's about it for me. Yeah, no, nothing spectacular there. <laughs> that's amazing, Quirky. Carolina, tell us about you. Um, I started dancing when I was a little girl, around five years old, uh, after seeing the movie My Fair Lady with Audrey Hepburn. I asked for dance lessons, and my parents enrolled me in ballet. And I remember feeling very out of place and very awful, but I also remember loving it um, and asking for more and more and more. And as I got older, um, my intensity with the dance lessons increased to the point where I was dancing every day after school and then eventually transferred to a performing arts high school. And then I moved to New York when I was 18 to go to the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. On my way to the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, I passed by a ballroom dance studio. And um, I ventured in because there was an ad for an Argentine tango milonga and a free lesson. And I didn't have much money, I was just a, a student um, trying to make my way in New York City. And the man teaching the lesson was Forever Tango. And I had just seen the show. And I think from then on, I just decided that this would be my my passion because I had never seen partner dancing up close. Um, and the roles of the men and the women were just, it was just, I was in a trance, really. I was in a trance and on a high after that lesson. And I remember thinking I need to learn so much more. 
And eventually I ended up um, becoming an intern for that ballroom studio. And later on got a full-time position uh, teaching after doing some musical theater in New York and auditions and waiting tables. And it was just a really fun but tough existence uh, for a few years. And then I finally had a friend of mine say, why don't you teach dance? You're amazing at this. Um, why are you waiting tables when you should be in a studio teaching? And so I thought that it would conflict with getting myself to the auditions that I so wanted to pursue. Um, and I had some injuries setting me back. So I, I made like the third call back to the Footloose Broadway show and then tore my ligaments in the top of my foot before I went back for the next call back. And um, it set me back like three months probably. And then eventually I started working at a Fred Astaire dance studio in a basement of a library in Inglewood, New Jersey, where I met um, uh, my partner and soon to be husband at the time, Felipe Tolona Jr. We danced together for 14 years and we were United States finalists for nine years. We won the World Mambo title and the World American Rhythm Show Dance title. And I competed in multiple um, divisions and it was a joy to have that be part of my life. Wow. That is amazing. I love that you, you guys, you came to it from different places, like one growing up in that world and one switching to ballroom later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But even though you danced when you were little, right? I think uh, a lot of us find a new style or a like renewed passion, whether that's a switch to teaching, a switch to a new style. I, like I, I discovered ballet to me much later. Like I didn't take my first ballet class till I was about 12, which is relatively late in the dance world to then go on and continue to do it. Um, but I think it had a lot to do with why the, why the passion was still there, right? Like why it's, you find it again, but I would love to hear from both of you about your passion for dance since you've both made incredible careers out of this, like where, where does this passion come from? How is it still alive for you in all the years that you've been dancing and working? Well, I, I always tell people that every one of us, we have a samba rhythm keeping us alive. That is the heartbeat. And uh, for me, always, I mean, I love music. I mean, music is kind of my escape if I'm feeling down or whatever. The music, I, I can play music all day and it's, it's like a, it's very soothing. It kind of reverses my, uh, you know, my d down mood. So, mm -hmm. and I actually feel that that music is always, even when I'm sleeping, I'm very aware of my heartbeat. I know that's weird, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I really believe that that's just rhythm, flow. Um, I just think it's inside of me. You know, some people are born with another, but that is what I feel drives me is that mm -hmm. constant. You know, even when I have a headache, I'm monitoring the pulse of the headache. <laughs> I'm trying to make a beat out of it. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my passion for dance really is uh, when I'm doing it, I feel like I'm no longer here. I'm in another planet. I'm, I'm somewhere else. So I do love that. But at my age, you know, I'm not dancing like I used to. So it's still there, but I'm pursuing my passion um, hopefully through this book. That's mm -hmm. kind of what I'm hoping is the next phase for me to, to, to focus my energy in because my body wants to do it, but let's face it, it just can't. Right. I mean, well, I can, but it's, it's <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> I'm sure it's not as embarrassing as you think it is, but yeah, I, we have to evolve that passion and change. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I want to talk about the book. That's my next thing. No problem. Carolina, what about your passion? Um, 
I knew immediately that I was going to be a dancer. Probably by the time I was eight, I told my mom I wanted to be a professional dancer. Um, I mean, it's not that I didn't want to be other things, probably overlapping at the same time. But I told her, I remember writing on a piece of paper that she kept that I wanted to be the world's best dancer, that I wanted to be the best, not just a dancer, but the best dancer in the world. And I think like seeing Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady and seeing what music and dance can do to a child in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then watching, I remember uh, I went to a fine art summer camp where we had all the multidisciplines of art, uh, drawing, visual art, drama, music, and dance. And there was an instructor there named Tara McDonald. And I watched this woman move and I thought, that is the most gorgeous creature I have ever seen moving. And I want to look just like her. And by accident, they put me in the 13 and over class, even though I was eight. And I was like a tiny little fish lost in a big sea of giant girls who were not nice to me at all. Because they were like, what are you doing here? It also happened to be that my cousin was an instructor at that camp. So they thought that I got in because of him and Mm -hmm. that I did something to kind of maneuver my way into this older kids class. And I had no idea where I was or what was happening and totally (laughs) innocent to the whole thing. But I somehow figured out how to swim in this class because there's an instinct that I think some people feel and have for music. And I think it has to start with the music. And I think the style you end up choosing also connects you to the music. Not everybody's going to gravitate to Argentine tango. The music was written in the 30s and 40s. So typically people who like classical music or have an ear for like violins and orchestration will like Argentine tango. But people who don't won't gravitate to that because there's, you don't get that same samba beat. Although in milongas there is one, it's just generated from a bandanion versus a drum. So I had an instinct reaction to music uh, from birth, as, as Corky was saying he did. And I think that drives me to be passionate and will always be passionate. I think I drive and I choreograph to music that I play over and over again in the car when I'm on my way to coach couples. Mm-hmm. Um, I visualize movement when I hear sound. I did it as a child. I, it kept me up at night. Yeah. So I remember... Uh, my mom saying, why are you so tired? I said, I didn't sleep very well. Because if I played songs while I was falling asleep, I was wired awake, envisioning the movement that could go to them. And I would envision productions. I would envision people on stages. And and then I remember I told my dance teacher once, and he goes, you know, this is not a problem, Carolina. This is a gift. Yes. And, and I remember thinking, wow, it's really a nuisance because it, it, it blocks me so much from focusing on other things and the distraction of being pulled into something that I'd, I'd be like, be quiet for a second. And there'd be a background song in a grocery store. And I would be like, don't talk. Do you hear that? And then I'd have to react. And so my best friend and I would dance every day after school. And we started creating assemblies for the kids in high school. Eventually, my principal had to give me an office for all the props And I would recruit boys from the band department and from the sports teams and say, you know what? You've got potential. Why don't you come to a rehearsal today? We're looking for some guys. And so I would try to get, and I was very young. I was probably like entering high school and I was getting seniors and teaching them how to dance and putting together these assemblies. But the passion is just as alive now as it was then. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. I love how music is such a big part of what both of you have just said. Uh, Will you... I would love to hear a little bit more about the music because I think that is a piece a lot of teachers resonate with. Like I definitely am, 
do too and hearing it and feeling inspired by it. So where do you find your music? How do you, are you always, I don't know, like music is said always first, or do you have like, you meet your, meet the couple and then think about the kind of music that might go with them. Like what's the process for music with choreography and teaching? Well, if I'm focused on Latin dancing, I'm, I'm stuck to cha-cha, samba, rumba, pasadoble, jive. So mm-hmm. I have to, and mainly everyone that I am involved with are, are, are kind of in that music that we, I think there's, there's about 22 songs, that, 22 different types of styles of music uh, in our industry. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like to obviously listen to chachas, sambas, rumbas, pasadobles. There's not a lot of those because that's a dance of a bullfight. Mm-hmm. And the jive is the dance of the GI. The chacha is a cheekly, cheeky, flirtatious dance. The samba is a you know, Brazilian uh, carnival. Mm-hmm. And the rumba is a beautiful, it's like the romantic uh, of all the dances. And Carolina has different, they, in her style, they do, uh, what is your style of music, Carolina? What, do you, what are the dances you guys listen to? Uh, in the American rhythm style, it's still cha-cha, which overlaps with the Latin style, but the beats per minute are different because the cha-cha tempo is a hair slower, it's a little bit slower. And then we have uh, an American style rumba and uh, swing, bolero, and mambo. So the rhythms are different because the dances are different. But we often don't. Part of being a competitive dancer, you have to understand, is not having any control over what the DJ plays at the competition. Mm, So they play a standard cha-cha for every style, and the couples go, and their choreography has to fit that tempo. So we don't get the luxury. We rehearse to different cha-chas in preparation for these events. But choreography comes more into play and song selection comes more into play when you're doing a choreographed show dance when the couple's going to be featured independently from the other couples mm-hmm. because they do share the floor with so many other couples. When it's a solo presentation or something for stage or something artistic, um, we have more control over the music we select. And, and just to push a little bit more, like let's take cha-cha. So it's 4-4 four, four timing. The accent is on one and three. So any popular song that's got a happens to have an accent on one and three or if you count it in eight two four six eight so mm-hmm. in any any modern song can be a cha-cha if it's the right tempo and the mm-hmm. accents are in the right place and that's true for all the dances okay that, that makes sense i hope, hope that made, answered your question no it did and actually it's just funny to think about so my um i'm actually a couple days from now at the time of this recording is my 15th wedding anniversary and i was just thinking back to our first dance my husband is now he will tell you himself. He's like, I'm not a dancer. I can't dance. And so he was nervous about our first dance as a couple. And he's, you know, marrying a professional dancer, like half the wedding is all dancers. It's like, I can't do this. I was like, okay, we'll have, we'll go somewhere they can teach us. And it was a rumba. And I hadn't thought about that in a long time until Gorky were running through that dance. And I think it was um, like, they had to pick the song because we were like, we have these songs we like. And they're like, no, that's not how that's going. Like we have to have the right rhythm and it has to have the right fit in order for to make it a rumba or to make it something you can do together. Um, but that's, oh, that's a fun memory to think back on. But, um, and Carolina, I, I've, I'm glad you brought up how you, in your competitive world in the ballroom, that you don't have a specific song that you don't know what it is until you're competing like that's Mm -hmm. a very different approach to competition than I think a lot of my listeners are used to where we are more in the like studio competitive world or something where you pick a song and you create your artistic interpretation of that and then present it 
Yeah, and the uh, and the sharing of the space is another layer of difficulty that oh, people yeah. don't realize because you could start with forty couple quarterfinal and then it goes down from there until it's only six left, but you still have to navigate the room, the space, your choreography has to fit, and you have to be able to make all these adjustments on the fly in the moment and then adjust to the sound you hear. And most couples, to be honest, aren't very good, and I'll say this is a flaw, mm -hmm. of actually interpreting the sound that they hear in the moment. They kind of go on automatic pilot and execute choreography sure. instead of like, but you didn't pay attention to that intro at all. Like it yeah. wasn't as if it wasn't playing or you missed all these cool accents. This particular round hat in this cha-cha. Yeah. So, and it's, and it does affect, because as the judges, you, you have the full experience of kind of being the voyeur and watching, and you're very aware when they're missing musical cues and notes, mm -hmm. even though they may be oblivious to it because they're doing that standard timing. It's, mm -hmm. it's not enough. It's deeper than that. Yeah. I think Corky would Absolutely. agree with that. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I think we see it even when you have the luxury of time of choosing a musical piece to then choreograph to that judges will watch it and be like, you didn't hear that back. Like there's nothing yeah. or you're only on the baseline and there's nothing about the lyric. Like there's more to it than that. And well, this, the, the lyrics are very important when choreographing a show dance mm -hmm. because a show dance needs to have a story yeah. and you get to cultivate um, a deeper relationship and deeper meaning behind the lyrics and the music. And even every physical gesture should have, uh, a meaning and that's that's a whole different feat to present a show dance because I competed in the show dance in the theater arts division which is permits lifts mm -hmm. in the air and so you can fuse so many other dance genres and styles into that like if you see so you think you can dance the couples are all partnering and doing mm -hmm. lifts those essentially are all show dances in the mm -hmm. in the ballroom world and you're alone on the floor so it it's it has to convey a feeling of emotion and give people a, a message um, through the song that you've selected and through the movement that corresponds. So okay. it's very important. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm glad you brought in. So you think, I think a lot of, again, my listeners are like, okay, I get that's our, um, I know an American who has, is in a studio world sees ballroom on So You Think You Can Dance and that's like our only exposure yeah. to it in a lot of ways. Right. So you're saying that's the show piece, like a show dance. And then what, what, what else is there when you were explaining Lots of other couples are on the floor during a competition. Like what are other aspects of ballroom that maybe we may not be familiar with? Um, the dynamic of the partnership yeah. is, uh, can be volatile. Mm -hmm. It can be really intense. Mm -hmm. Couples are often in relationships and married and the pressure for them because it's called dance sport. It's not just about the art, right? It's about beating other couples. It's about passing other people. It's about the progression and it's about all these expectations that once you make the United States final and that you're in the top six, now you're fighting to win. You're fighting to win the title. So it's now your first, you're first elated when you get into the final and then it's all, oh, it's not enough. I need to become first. And, and, so the, and, the, and the other tough thing is there's six couples on the floor at the same time. You're not on there by yourself. So yeah. And in, the semifinal, and in the semifinal, there's 12 couples. So that's 24 bodies flying around at 100 miles an hour. And you have to stay, you know, focused in your, you can't get out of your bubble or you're going to be mm -hmm. distracted. And yeah. And, yeah. and we're spinning, falling, rotating, twisting on a connected arm in a three and a half or three inch heel. With uh, a seven-pound dress on, sometimes <laughs> right. because of the rhinestones. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very uh, 
it's not it's not as free as a, a studio situation it's not as it doesn't feel as safe it feels less um there's a lot more variables happening and then there's your own personal emotions and then having to do multiple rounds to get to a final so you do all five dances you go off, you come back, you do all five dances again. You go off, you come back, you do all five dances again. And that's back to back with no break. So that's mm-hmm. it's intense. Yeah. Well, and I this makes me want to dive into the mental side of this a little bit, of course, because that's where my psychology comes in. And the, what you guys are talking about are so many mental skills involved, right? The resilience to come back if, like you, you know, you don't make finals and then you want to do it again the next year, and like to keeping that perseverance. The mental focus of being on the floor with that many other couples, like that's a major mental skill to figure out. Just the motivation, the uh, so much. So, will you speak a little bit to like the mental side of a dance, being a dancer for you guys, and like where? Where do you feel like you had the edge maybe and you understood the mental side better or where it was hard for you? Well, I'll start this. So I was uh, 17 when I started ballroom dancing. And that was absolutely, as you guys were saying, oh, 12 is late. Mm-hmm. Starting starting this at 17, 18 years old, that's really late. That is really late, yes. Because it was absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing of what I'd done as a child was, was, was happening in this world. Zero, mm-hmm. like zero. In fact, the proof of that is you'll see some great dancers get on Dancing with the Stars and they look terrible because <laughs> the ballroom dancing is its own, you know, obviously it would help you with posture, but, you know, ten, ballet dancers tend to look really stiff. They can't isolate mm-hmm. their bodies. Yep. So, they, so that's a disadvantage. They have beautiful sure. posture, but there's no, there's no body rhythm. There's no rib cage. There's no hip line. There's no... Mm-hmm. So you had to be mentally, or I had to be mentally, everyone says, oh, you're never going to make it. You, you, you have no chance. You started way too old. Mm-hmm. So you talk about, and the whole world against you, like everyone, yeah. you stop wasting. I had one teacher in, I, I, I flew to London, England too, because that's where all the world champions were, the past world champions in, in what I was doing. So I wanted to, I wanted to see, okay, well, I'm going to train with the best. And Every one of those people told me to hang up my shoes. Like, oh wow, not everyone. There was a couple of posi- but most, positive ones, yeah. but but the majority said you'll never make it. It's just you started too late. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, no. Here's what I did. I went. I, what I did is I went and interviewed the top six because I wasn't in the top six. I said, when did you start dancing? They said eight. How many lessons did you take? One. Okay, that's fifty-two lessons a year. And mm-hmm. half the time they weren't paying attention. So let's cut it down to twenty-five lessons. <laughs> I did. I did that in in one day in time. So that's yeah. how I caught up. So I, yeah, that's my answer to it. I, I was just driven to do it because I loved it and I wanted to do it. Yeah. And, and plus I wanted to prove everyone wrong. When mm-hmm. someone tells me that I can't do something, that's like, that's like pouring fire on a, you know, yeah. gas on fire for me. Absolutely. Well, I think a lot of people have that sense of like, you, but you really, try if you really to take want to, if you really want to do something and you break it down in chunks of time and research mm-hmm. that, that that's what I did. So it made sense to me. I said, Oh, I can do I can do 25 hours in a, in two days of practicing, seriously. Yeah, right. That's actually so. a really good point. And even in a lot of the work I do around goal setting is people have this goal that may be years away and it feels too big, too daunting. You know, either I'm behind or I'll never get there. But being able to say, no, this is what needs to happen in this amount of time. And if I break it down, I can handle today's goal. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think I did. I, I, I made it to where I was doing four years in one year. Wow. Yeah. So. That's how I think about it. Well, what do you have to say about that, Karen? <laughs> yeah. 
I was thrown into this um, in an almost unfair way, I will say, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate. Because I was doing musical theater, I had a like a Vaganova Russian classical ballet background, and at Alvin Ailey, I did Lester Horton and Martha Graham technique. Okay, yeah. Um, my body clearly could, plus we did Dunham, which is Afro-Caribbean, mm-hmm. so I can isolate. I have been an amazing isolator naturally, <laughs> even though I did ballet since I was a child also, because I used to put on these shows in my basement. I called them <laughs> events uh, uh, for my parents' friends. And then I would, any child that came into my house, I was like, do you like dancing? Would you like to learn? Let's go put a routine together. Like, this is how I spent my time. Sure. So um, but when I say I was thrown into it, the man that was my partner who would become my husband gave me 10 days to learn five routines that he had done with his former partner. In 10 days, I was thrust into the United States um, uh, Manhattan Dance Sport Championships at the World, old World Trade Center. And I did 10 routines that were designed around another person's body. In 10 days, I took the subway. I had these sweatpants on over this 10,000, well, like a $5,000 dress that was fully Swarovski crystal. I remember all the competitors staring at me as I got into the lineup because they had these fancy silk kimonos and their hair was done. And I'm like a dancer, like backstage in warmups, right? Uh-huh. So I come out, I take off my sweatpants, take off my running shoes, put on my heels and get in line to go on the floor. And um, they were there hours before preparing, warming up, doing their hair and makeup. And basically I show up and I remember we took fifth, but I, I can't say that I enjoyed it at all. It was completely earth shatteringly nerve wracking and stressful. Yeah. But I thought, you know, they're not that great. I looked at them and I thought, mm, look at that. Look at those feet. What are those hands doing? Like I remember thinking of my ballet teacher and if she saw their execution, their finishes, their finishes, their attention to detail, poor, very poor quality, very disappointing. Certainly in the American Rhythm Division at that time in 2001. Mm-hmm. However, um, there was a few gems, as there always are, and that inspired me. And I thought, I'm going to figure this out. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let this defeat me because I don't think this is going to be rocket science. I'm going to figure it out. And I worked hard. I, when I say I worked hard, I think a champion and anybody who succeeds in any given profession is willing to do things that other people aren't. Yeah. Sleep on the floor, take the subway, miss family events and occasions, um, wake up really early to rehearse, stay up really late. So be the first and the last to leave is what I say. Mm -hmm. So how early did you get there to practice? I would get there earlier than my partner to prepare to dance with my partner. And then after my partner left, I would say later to rehearse what we did. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to work and then I would come back at night to rehearse again, much to his chagrin. He was like, we're done. And I'm like, no, no, we're not done. I just figured this out. I've been thinking about this all day. I need to do it again. So I was obsessed. And I think every week after that, we did 47 competitions in a year. Wow. Every four or five days, I was on a plane or in a car driving somewhere to compete. And the judges, the the disaster that I was that first time, and it was a disaster. I kicked a judge's clipboard during doing a ronde. <laughs> she happened to be the wife of the president of the National Dance Council of America. I wrote an apology letter. Her clipboard went flying. 
My hair came out, my dress came undone. You name it, everything went wrong that comp. It was a great learning experience. I came back the next week and they're like, wow, she's got, she's got a lot of nerve to show her face around here again. And I kept coming back and back and back and they kept seeing this amazing growth in front of them. Undeniably, I was putting myself out there in front of their face over and over again. And I think they had to acknowledge that. And I think I was rewarded for the fact that they've probably never seen anybody do it to that degree, that intensely, that fast. Yeah. And I earned respect. Yeah. Oh, that resilience is amazing from both of you to have that, uh, either when people are taking you down or, or saying you shouldn't be there. Or I think a lot of us have had the experience of seeing someone better than you. And then you can take that two ways. You can take that as inspiration or you can take that as like, oh, well, I'll never be that good. I'll never be at that level. And I think that brings me back to your book. And I think that's that big theme within it of her desire to not give up and keep coming back. So um, I want to share with our listeners here that part of what brought Corky and Caroline and I together is their new book. It's called Chloe Chachas in London. It is adorable. It's a picture book. And I, uh, I will say I read it to my six-year-old in preparation for this because she, I was like, look at this. And, you know, you're talking about these dresses and the glittery and it's like the book is illustrated to reflect that it had, it's so sparkly and fun. And my daughter immediately was like, what? And she, her big eyes and she loved it. It was a really cute story. So um, I would love to hear from both of you a little bit like about the book. How did this come to be? And kind of tell us about this authorship journey for you. Well, I, um, I kind of wanted to tell my kids journey. Uh, that's uh, Derek Huff, Julianne Huff, and my son, Mark Ballas. I, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to tell their journey. And what was hilarious is that Carolina had a similar journey to theirs. So that's what kind of, uh, that's what brought the book into play. But I really was focused on, I wanted to take you in the studio and teach you a dance. So that's the part of the book I focused on. And Carolina focused, uh, you go ahead and tell us the part that you focused on. I'm going to take you back farther, Corky, because really Corky had already written a book, a children's book, because he really did want to get in the schools and teach kids how to dance and it was called dance with my kitten and it was about this little girl dancing with her cat at home and he was able to illustrate the different dances with this little girl dancing with her cat and then uh, we had an illustrator tell us that we would be sued by PETA if a child was dancing with an animal in a oh, children's book no. like, what we didn't even think about this no, like that seems like a cute idea dancing with the cat and then I looked at Corgi and I thought well the story does not convey it's great. It does. It does address the dances, and it does teach the kid how to dance. But what it, you know, a child can handle more uh, emotion than you're giving them credit for, and you have to make this personal to you. We have to make this personal to you. Well, first, I wasn't getting involved in his book I, because I was a creative writing major. I was telling him this has got to go deeper. Like this could be so 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 good, but this is. I don't. I think you're just touching the surface. Why don't you tell your story? Mm-hmm. And, and I encouraged him to do that. And he goes, well, if you have so many ideas about it, why don't you write it? And I said, okay, I'll write stuff down on paper and I'll show it to you. And then we started a collaboration based off of my interpretation. Because what you don't know is Corky was one of my first coaches when I started working at Danceport when I was 18. Yeah. And then, um, you know, 16, 17 years had gone by. And he had judged me in those years. He was one of the judges because... We're of different generations. I was still competing after he stopped. And he then went on to judge. 
And it wasn't 16 or 17 years later that we were at the U.S. Nationals when I was now a judge on his on the same panel he was on. And that is how our relationship started eventually and led into um, a more romantic relationship. But the book evolved um, from me reading Dance With My Kitten, which he had written first. And then I thought, "Mm -mm, you've got way more to share than Dancing With a Kitten. We did want to include an animal in the story, so we included Nosy, the studio dog. I was going to say, that was my daughter's favorite part. She thought Nosy was adorable every time. He's adorable. It's so cute. All Corky's idea, because Corky loves all animals. And so, <laughs> not that I don't, but he, he's very specifically connected to dogs. Mm. And so, um, you know, we, we wanted to give kids that opportunity. And we I, the story of moving away from home Although Derek and Julian had to do that, and Corky himself did that, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. But and, I wasn't ten years old like they were. No, and I, I mean, wasn't. That's that's unbelievable. And not only that, they moved to a foreign country. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. That for a ten-year-old kid to do that, that's that's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I was uh, eighteen when I moved, so I was also older. And I moved to a foreign country. I moved from Toronto, Canada, mm-hmm. to to New York City, not to London. Uh, but I, it definitely, um, it was still challenging for me at 18 to do that because I, I had a very sheltered childhood and a, a very tight-knit family and tight-knit. I went to school from kindergarten to 18 with the same group of people and lived in the same house. Mm-hmm. So I was, um, like I said, sheltered. I mean, going to dance lessons and everything. But the discouragement was that I thought by the time I was 18, I had felt like I was good in my dance circle, in my studio, in my classes. And then going to New York and going to Alvinelli, I felt like I was terrible. It yeah. felt like going all the way back down to the beginning and being a small fish in, in a big ocean now, which is what every dancer has to go through many, many, many times to keep improving and to keep growing. Yeah. You have to be reduced to that every time and swim back and fight your way to the top of that if you want to succeed. And you have to be willing to embrace the challenge and not run from it. And, um, but you're going to want to run yeah. and Chloe wants to run. Mm-hmm. And of course she's a child. So she wants to run even more than you do when you're in your, in your late teens or twenties, but you're going to want to run because it's uncomfortable to be so, um, removed from people who love you and support you and doing something so hard entirely yeah. on your own. Absolutely. So. Well, and you both have, or clearly resilient, but I always wonder like, did you have that moment of like, maybe I'm going to quit. I can't do this. Or did your kids quirky you when you're talking about them? Like or well, all the time you, you, you know? it goes through your mind weekly, <laughs> you know, they, every weekend they'd get up and go to a, they would dance on Saturday and Sunday. We'd have to get up at, you know, four in the morning to drive and then put their hair and makeup on. They, 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 they went through times when they were really sick of it, you know, mm-hmm. but, but then when you start dancing it, um, the adrenaline rush, the excitement, it, it makes it all worth it. Yeah. So for them, it was a new, like the dance itself. Like once you're back on stage, you're like, okay, no, this is why. This is and the other kind of cool thing is there was, there, in England, because we were all in England at the time, there was hundreds of couples. So there was hundreds of kids their age too. So after the competition and between the competitions, they were having fun. And so it was it was great. They had, yeah. meet, they had met all like-minded children, so they, they had a great time. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, finding other people with similar passions and drive and surrounding yourself with those people helps that mission. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so 
thinking kind of along that, like move, moving away, you know, taking, deciding to be a professional, deciding to write a book, um, all of those things are really like big decisions. Um, so I'm curious, how do you make those big decisions? Do you, are you like pro con list, think it through? Or are you like, this is my heart. I'm going to follow my gut. How do you make those big decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm not one of these paralysis by analysis. Yeah. I like to, if I feel it in my gut, I just do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, I'm with Corky uh, in that regard. Artistically speaking, there's things that I'd make pros uh, and con lists for, especially if I'm helping someone else make a decision maybe mm. that they're having a hard time with. But for sure. myself, it's based on, it's it's not even based on, it's a compulsion. Like there's a sense of me when I'm choreographing a show dance and I know it's going to be good. I am, I'm moved by another force. Everything I choose is come. It's not even coming from me. It's coming through me. Mm -hmm. And I felt that way about the book that it came mm -hmm. through me. And, uh, it was, it was a need to say this. I had to get it out. I had to say this. I had to express this feeling. I didn't, it was like, there's no choice yeah. because if I don't, I will burst. <laughs> and this, this will, there's, there's a greater force of nature operating here. And I don't always feel that, but with the book, I felt that with certain show dances I've done in my life, I have felt that same need. Like this is what I'm doing is important and it's going to matter to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. Will you share a little behind the scenes about the book in the sense of like, how long was this process? Was it harder than you thought? Easier it's than long. like some, it's longer than you think. I think when people realize. Yes. Corgi, you go, you start from the beginning, like. How long are you? We counting dance with my kitten, or well, if I count that, that was two thousand seven. So okay, and yeah. then it, it just—I uh, don't know why it took us so long, but it evolved from that to where it is now. And uh, was it like a dance in the sense that like multiple you, you iterations know, I'll tell you and revisions? What's so funny, actually, doing it was pretty quick, right? The yeah, drawings no, and okay. writing the story was quick. It was all the after stuff, the layout, and the publishing and the, that's what took forever I think well we didn't because the book illustrates dance movements arms feet ankles legs in a very specific way that's conducive to Latin American cha-cha dancing uh we had a hard time with illustrators because they weren't dancers sure and the illustrator we ended up using is a wonderful dancer uh, and he was able to get everything correct but basically we spent money and paid an illustrator and we kind of scrapped everything and started again with a new one so that delayed the process the story came out quickly and then there were all the you know we had to we had to pay the illustrators uh both of them and then we had to pay layout design people so everything comes out of your own pocket and that also, you know, takes time because it's a huge investment. Sure. Yeah, that's I had forgotten about that. And, yeah. and Carolina found David Estrada, who's our illustrator, and he is a professional competitor. So he is drawings for, oh, well, you can see them beautiful. right on the, but yeah. the feet, everything is just, uh -huh. so that was great that Carolina found David. David was a gift. I mean, he's really yeah. gifted. And that, that makes sense because a lot of us as dancers, you see, you know, graphic artists and stuff will do images of dancers. I'm always like, nope, 
wrong. Like, nope, I can't. You know, their feet are sick older. And, and you like know what? We're, we were just about to give up because we'd gone through all these illustrators, all this money, and, it, what, and I was just no way we were going to, neither one of us liked it. So that's very good that you mentioned that because I'd forgotten. We got stuck on a very simple thought, which is a rock step. And to draw somebody's weight in between, like rocking back and forward, is mm. very challenging mm-hmm. from any angle on like a two-dimensional surface. Sure. It's even hard to teach that on video, much less a still drawing. Yes, it's hard to teach sure. it on video. Because, you know, your body weight is between both feet. You're just transferring weight from one to another. You're not committing to one foot or another. Anyway, mm. go on. And so we wouldn't settle till it was right. We would not. We, but we did. We almost gave up. I'd forgotten about that. And I was we, like, we were. And then, she, and then she found David. And when I saw his drawings, I was like, wow. Yeah. And so I'll tell you something interesting. The dog in the book is David's dog. Oh, <laughs> the dog is so cute. It's oh, so awesome. sweet. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's that overarching thing of not giving up. And like Chloe in the book is resilient, but even the book itself, its own journey of like, it has, it's, I'm not doing it unless it's going to be right. Now we're well. at and the next milestone is getting the word out. That's the, yes. that, now this is a whole other, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how do you spread the word? How do you get, that's what we're trying to figure yes, out now. Absolutely. Well, and I, I'll make sure, uh, to all my listeners out there that this book is linked in the show notes and you can see it on my website and stuff. It's the best oh. like holiday gift or like put it in your studios. Like it's just an adorable, you know, story. we have an amazing, uh, an amazing audio file that's going to be coming out so it'll read the uh it'll read it to the to the child or the person but you know there's sound effects you know you hear the black taxi you hear the sound of the music so that's going to be coming out also which i think i'm I'm, we're creating an app right now so that somebody wanted to do it on their ipad or Mm -hmm. oh that's available on audible okay We're trying, we're just going to get it. That's, that's very good. I forgot to tell you that. I love that. Okay. We'll make sure we have all those links there because it is. And like, whether you have a young, even if you didn't have a long young child, I would still have loved it. It has such the balance that you guys said of like the emotional story, but then the actual dance steps are in there too. Yeah. Well, when I remember when my daughter, I have a 10 year old when my daughter was little um, and I had to drive and she would come with me often while I taught couples, she'd have to sit through coaching lessons and so on the way to these studios everywhere, she would be bored, like a two, three-year-old in the car and I, or four-year-old or five-year-old. And I remember playing books for her so I could drive in peace. Mm-hmm. And it was so nice um, to have somebody reading it to her because obviously you can't read if you're driving. And there'd be music and she would say, again, mama, again. <laughs> and I would play it again. And so... <laughs> Kids, you'd be, they don't get sick of it. It's amazing that oh. they could handle the same. Rep- they like the repetition. It's oh, yeah. It's, it's good for their brains. Absolutely. The repetition yeah. is yeah, great. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, I love that. Well, I wanted to make sure we kind of ask one other thing before we wrap up about advice for our listeners, our dancers who, you know, have their own big dreams. You both clearly had huge, you know, career paths and dreams about what you wanted to do as dancers and didn't give up on those dreams. But advice for anybody out there who is, who wants to work um, as a dancer, as a teacher, um, who's chasing their dreams, what can, what would you share with them? Well, I think that you first have to have a clear goal that you want to do it and you have to make up, you know, the, the biggest sin in life is the sin of indecision. Mm. Once you make the clear decision, then you have to put the work in. And what does that work? Well, it depends on what dance field you want to go into. But there's like 
practice drills. Like there are certain things that you, for example, cha-cha walks, rumba walks, samba walks, pasa doble walks, jive flicks, and doing that every day, every day, every day. You know, try to teach it to someone because when you try to teach it to someone, guess what? You learn twice mm-hmm. as quick because you're you're having to figure out, well, how can I teach this to another person? Sure. So, and that takes that takes a lot of drive and skill. So I would say, I'm tr- I'm tr- I mean, I could go on and on and on about this topic, but <laughs> I like to start with one step, make a clear decision, understand your basics and practice those basics at, yeah. at least an hour a day for about a year. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I never stopped doing it for 20 years, Yeah. but I'm saying just to start, to just Let's see if you can just do that, you know, learn the basic step of each dance. And I think that's really valuable, actually, because a lot of younger dancers and even in the teachers, like we're, I feel like we're moving dancers too quickly. Like we're progressing them through stuff super fast. It's like they don't get the basics and then they don't want to go backwards when they're 14. No, they don't. Do you see that in your areas too? Well, I think these dance shows are actually wiring people that way. You know, they see them flipping around and doing all this and they want to flip around and do it. They don't want to understand so yeah, that's a that's a problem. It is, yeah. Do the basics. Well, having the time pressure of television production mm-hmm. makes people skip to the flashy parts of things. Sure. Right. Because it works for TV, and it well, gets it does. Yeah. But it teaches the but it teaches the person watching that oh, I can do that in a week. Right. Uh, yeah. They don't realize that the that the ones that are really really good have been training for years to get to that. They don't sure. realize that. So. Right. Yeah. It looks like. And I think part of it too, the TV drama of it, of like how, of how much they had to get done in a week makes it more interesting. Yeah, but it's, it's actually amazing that they do do that in a week, to be absolutely. honest with you. Oh, I think so too. <laughs> absolutely. I, I worked on uh, both So You See You Can Dance here in the U.S. and uh, did the finale when it was still airing in Toronto, in, yeah. in Canada. I was an assistant choreographer for the finalists in mm-hmm. Canada. And, the girl had broken ribs by the time she got to the finale. Oh my goodness. And she was in chronic pain, but she won. She mm-hmm. did it, but it was really rough experience for them because literally they're throwing their bodies around. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have time to understand the fundamental fundamental principles. Like I worked with Jacob the season. Jacob was a ballet dancer in one of the seasons of So You Think You Can Dance. I, I don't know if he ended up winning. He was in the finale. And he had a Viennese waltz. He didn't, he would not, if in a, I worked with fiction on his Viennese waltz, mm-hmm. there's no way if, if you ask fiction right now to break down Viennese waltz for you, he'd be able to, but he's mm-hmm. still fiction. He's amazing. He's still incredible. Yeah. You know, I mean, they don't even have time to register who I was. I was like, okay, let's go over the basic quickly. Mm-hmm. Like we have four hours. Sure. So it was, it was literally that quick, but to, to pursue a goal. Yes. Corky's right. You have to make a decision, but you also have to go deeper. Do you want to be a dancer? What kind of dancer do you want to be? Do you want to be an okay dancer, an average dancer, a mediocre dancer? Do you want to be in the chorus? Do you want to be in the background? Do you want to be front row and center? Do you want people to talk about you and remember you? Do you want to be a legend? What kind of dancer do you want to be? Because it's not enough to say, I want to be a dancer. Mm-hmm. So that that's a very general um, thing to me, like get really specific and don't be afraid to say that, yes, if I do this, I want to be the best that I could possibly be. And then what does the best need to do to get there? Because the best will find energy and things to do that people who are just okay being in the background will not. Right. Yeah. And that's going to, that's the defining moment that that's really the thing that separates you 
Yeah. You know, it's not good enough for me to be here. I want to be there. Yeah. Well, and I think that also brings up for me that sometimes what we think of is like, if I'm going to do this, I have to be the best, but maybe it's like the best at what, and that might shift because, I mean, I just think I was the dancer that was like, I have to be better, you know, pursuing that goal and then make it to the professional world. And I was like, but I don't actually want the life that the principal has. Maybe I don't want that. And I realized teaching was more my side. I was like, okay, so now how do I be the best teacher? How do I go that path and shift? Um, But recognizing sometimes someone else's success is not necessarily your picture of success, but fighting for it do get to change. I remember I did the Broadway theater project with Anne Rankin, Gwen Verdon, and Gregory Hines. Mm-hmm. And Anne said, you start out with a dream, but don't be afraid to let your dream change because you might start out being a dancer, but you end up a director yeah. or you end up a producer, or you feel like your calling is in writing a script because you can see all these pieces fit together in a different way. Yet you started out as thinking you wanted to be a dancer. So it's okay to let your dream change. Even if it starts here, let it take you where it's going to take you because certain doors will open and you have to follow the clues and the signals to find your path. Because when the doors open, it makes things easy and there's a flow of energy that happens. And when it feels, when you start to feel stuck, you may want to start to think about, Am I going in the right direction? Because every time I take a step this way, I feel like I'm in mind. But when I take a step this way, there's there's more flow. There's more ease. Yeah. You you can lend yourself to going toward that flow. Um, I think that's important too. Oh, I love that advice. That's a great advice to end on of it's okay for your dreams to change. That's really beautiful. Will you both just share, like how can my listeners connect with you if they want the book? If, is there like website links? What can we share with people to find you? Well, we have chloebook.com. Okay. So there, that's kind of where we're posting everything at the moment. And uh, we did create a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. They can join the Facebook group, chloebook.com. Chloe okay. Book, what's the Facebook group name, Chloebook? It's Chloebook. I, I think it's Chloebook. Okay. We'll find it and make sure the right link is in the show notes too. But that's yeah. great. And like I said, we're going to be coming out on Audible and... I don't know when that will come out, but that's in the making as we speak. And then personally, I'm available on Facebook and Instagram. If anybody wants to message me, ask me questions, um, if they need any guidance, young dancers, I'm always available and happy to help. So how do we spell your Instagram? Because yours is quite complicated, Carolina. It's just at Carolina Orlovsky. It's just my Can you spell that for us? Yeah, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-A and then Orlovsky, no space, O-R-L-O-V-S-K-Y. Yeah. We will make sure that's linked too, because you're right. It's the my last name is difficult to spell sometimes, and it's hard. Like I just want yeah. To and my my Instagram is Corky Ballas, so it's just Corky Ballas, no spaces on Instagram. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, well, I'll make sure everything is linked up. Any last thoughts, words, wisdom, anything you wanted to share before we wrap up tonight? Well, I always like to say, live and dance with passion. Yes, and follow your dreams. Lovely. Thank you both so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much.